Hey, welcome to another episode of Footnotes. To set up this episode, I want you to think back to maybe the late 90s. And if you weren't really aware of yourself then, just kind of roll with it for a second. But in this interview, we're talking to the, actually the whole team from a company in town called Validity. And the reason I want you to kind of think back to the late 90s is, you know, back then the internet was sort of a thing. You know, Amazon was a weirdly named company that would sell you bestsellers online and you could do a little bit of shopping and things like that, but we none of us knew what the internet would turn into. Well, validity is sort of like that in blockchain. Uh, blockchain today is sort of like where the internet was in 1999. And we sit down with their team to talk about what they're doing, um, who they're doing it for, and how blockchain is going to become part of our lives. So we've got a, a team here today. This is actually uh, a first for footnotes where we're, we've got three people uh, that we're talking to. But we got the whole team from Validity, uh, who's based here in Columbia, South Carolina. Um, and with that, I mean, we've got um, Dr. Gordon Jones. We've got Erica and Seth, um, who, who work for this company. Um, let's talk about what is Validity? What do you guys do? How did you get started? And, and let's go from there. Yeah, so uh, Validity, we are working to create a decentralized identity wallet system. Okay. So, and what we mean by that is we believe all individuals should own and control their identity. And we believe identity is here in the physical world, but also digital, very digital. Um, so we believe that all uh, individuals should own and control their information. And, and we kind of discovered this space uh, because I teach blockchain over at USC. Mm -hmm. And last fall I was teaching my course and Erica was in the class. And the orientation of my course is we're, we're not coders. So it's in the School of Information and Communication. So these are like the School of Journalism, the Librarian Sciences and all that. So, so they're, I call them the content creators and managers. So they're not coders, they're not computer science people. Right, so my course, I oriented my course to teach them the functionality of blockchain. And then, uh, and I also like to teach a little bit of entrepreneurship. So the whole project uh, for the course is, okay, you come up with an idea that you know your industry that you're in interested in has a problem. And then as you learn about what blockchain does, I want you to apply it to that problem. And then at the end of the course, you're gonna present an executive summary and do a three minute pitch on your idea. Hmm. And, and so Eric was, was around, how do you, how can we secure student identity? So like if your cards get stolen or something like that by another student and they're going down to the bars and using your idea to buy a beer, how do you, control that? How do you keep manage of that? And so that was her problem. And then we started hashing that out um, into, and it eventually became validity. The other side of that was my problem uh, that I saw in the market was when I got onboarded at USC, so I, which was last summer to teach the course as an employee, mm -hmm. uh, I went through their background check process, right? Well, it took like forever. <laughs> and I was like, I mean, three months. Like I didn't get, I got in, invited into my own class a week after it had started. Cause it wasn't USC's fault. It was just the backlog of bringing 4,000 people on having to go through this third party background check process. 
And so my idea was, hey, well, why isn't validity, uh, sorry, why isn't LinkedIn verified, all your information on your LinkedIn profile verified <laughs> and what we call immutable, so you can't quote unquote change it, so it's trusted, and then an employer just downloads that and accepts that and they don't have to do a background check. Right? Interesting. So that was, I, and then we meshed those two ideas together because it's really an identity play. Right. And that's where we came up with the idea for validity. So I guess, you know, Erica, like you were saying, you manage your own identity. I think, I mean, speaking for myself, my identity is literally in my wallet. There's a driver's license, there's credit cards, you know, maybe a social security card if people carry that. And that's quote, who you are. But then there's like me, I'm sitting here, you guys yeah. are sitting here and we are the real versions of ourselves. But what is an electronic identity? Yeah, so when you think about all your activity on social media, social media platforms like Facebook and Instagram and whatnot, um, they are definitely watching you and uh, you know, capturing your data and who you are as a person and are able to market that and monetize that. And if you're not actually paying for a service, you are the product. So we at Validity see that as a huge issue that um, definitely needs, you know, to be solved. So. So in other words, when you're interacting on these sites and, you know, we, we've seen the documentaries and, and we hear all the One talk. Netflix, and Netflix, the yeah, social dilemma. Right. Yes. <laughs> um, and, and I think more people who our users of these things are becoming more aware of what's happening, but it seems like even some of those identity attributes, like we're not even aware that they're part of our identity. Yes, and so also for me, um, I've had friends who have gone to the bars and had, you know, the, the bartender follow them later that night and it's like, well, how did that happen? One of two ways, either, you know, Instagram promoted that they that y'all were together or that he saw your name on your ID because you're giving away way too much information when you go to get a, to buy a drink. Um, because Meaning when you use a physical when ID. When you use your physical ID, you're giving away way too much information because at the end of the day, that bartender, all he needs to know is that you are above 21. He doesn't need to know your name, your address, at the end of the day, that's all he needs to know. So, um, but they also need to know that that birth date that you're showing yes, is a legitimate, yes. like your They need birth to date. trust the yeah. information. Yes, exactly. exactly. But they, they don't actually need to know the birth date. Mm -hmm. So the reason they look at a state ah, ID. So it's a binary, like yes or no. Exactly. Right, that's, and that's what validity is. Validity masks your name, your home address, your actual birth date, all your, it's called PII, personal identity information. And because we use blockchain, we create that um, as an immutable record. So we verify it, mm -hmm. and then we turn in an immutable record. And then so now when she goes down to the restaurant and shows her ID on the phone, they can trust that, after they know who Validity is, of course, but they can trust that, okay, she's over 21. Yeah, and so I think the question's like, so why? Why, why are we doing this? What is the point of transitioning from this legacy system to blockchain. What, what is this great buzzword blockchain? And don't think about like cryptocurrency or anything like that. Sure. Think about the implications the technology has. And I'm not gonna spend time, I guess, elaborating into, uh, into some parts of the vocabulary, but some of the best stuff I can do is like, we can pull together some of the documents we have and like put it in the like footnotes of this video. Sure. Because there's tons of great resources and everybody always has that, that light bulb moment when they do their own research, they look at it, they realize the implications and 
kind of going back to what you said, like, what is identity? Like, mm-hmm. it's kind of like this existential question. Like, like it's like that mind versus like body way you interact with like the world. Like right now, in order to prove who we are, we're using a, like a plastic card sure. or a piece of paper, mm-hmm. which are forgeable. They're like losable. And the recovery <laughs> process is sometimes, it's a little bit better now they can mail it to you, but like anytime dealing with like normal government stuff, like DMV related, just going back to update your passport, all this kind of stuff, it needs to be digitized. And luckily, like the, the silver lining with this COVID stuff is it's been a catalyst for this digital change. And like the biggest thing that I think Validity is going to help assist with this is uh, this whole like remote working situation, work from home. People who want to be able to choose to have that more nomadic lifestyle, they still need these like credentials that uh, and like, like they need to be verified with everything they do. And it's there's so much paperwork in that process and there's so much updating you have to be done every once in a while and it's just a really messy situation. If you have it all in one thing in your pocket and you can you can uh, collect, you can like update all that on the fly, then then that's what we're trying to do. So, so to his point, um, so we came up with the idea, we started doing our research and our customer discovery in the fall and the, and the winter, over the winter. And I connected with uh, uh, LinkedIn, I'm a LinkedIn guy um, in the UK, and he's a headhunter for blockchain tech professionals, okay? And he services the EU. So his problem is these are all project-based, right? So he's not necessarily hiring this guy to be employed by that company. He's just pushing them in for a project. Well, in the in Europe, and it's pretty much the same thing here, is every time he goes to a new employer, like six times during the year, they have to do a background check on him. Mm-hmm. In other words, company one, company two is doing the same work that company one did on verifying the same person yeah, exactly. with the same attributes. Well, what it is, is they make the headhunter do that check. Ah, uh, okay. So now the headhunter's t- basically paying for it. His name's Tony. And so he was actually our first investor. Even before we incorporated, he sent us 10,000 bucks. He said, dude, if you do this for me, then you'll make my life so much better. And so that's really Which where is music we, to anyone's entrepreneur's ears. Yeah, it's oh, like, that was it, awesome. You, you've got a real person with a real problem with actual money made yeah. crypto. And it was cash. Yeah, it was cash. It there was you cash. go. I did, we could take, we can take big. How ironic, you know? Yeah. But, but to Seth, I mean, so that's, so like the gig economy is like a real high need for something like this because, especially as because of COVID. People are quitting their jobs and they want to be able to transition fast. So they need to be able to get hired fast. So imagine if they show up with all of their background already verified and an immutable record that the employer can trust. Now they don't have to wait three days or three weeks mm-hmm. for the background. They can get hired right then to do that project. Yeah, and start working immediately. So Yeah. So that's kind of our that's our core business model. We got others um, that come out of that, but but that's the market we want to serve. Just out of curiosity, I mean, is there a biometric angle here? Or yeah. 
We can, that's a part of the verification process. Okay. And it's also part of what's called the authentication process. So we already verified your ID, but now you're going into the environment. We want to authenticate that it is you before you go into that environment. So that's, so we can use biometrics for that too. Sure. Well, I guess that requires your physical presence, which I think what I'm hearing you say is that leading up to your physical presence, being somewhere, or even if you're you're a remote worker, there's still that digital aspect that you know the whole point is you don't want to have to show up at a certain right. place. You know you can you know. And if you want to be contactless, right? So now you don't want to share a virus. <laughs> so um, imagine this. So the per the the validity holders. She's already verified. She's got her driver's license in there with her driver's status, which is different. Okay. Then she has her insurance card in there, and she has her uh, vehicle registration in there, in her validity identity. And now a police officer pulls her over for speeding, and he walks up and uh, doesn't expect her to roll down the window. He just wants her to show her QR code, and he'll scan her QR code. Now he has her driver's license verified, her identity verified, her insurance and her car registration information without even having her roll down the window. So that's a true contactless interaction. Mm -hmm. And and then he doesn't even have to go back to his car to verify everything because he's, you know, get on his computer and find out if you have any tickets. It's already on his side because of his role as a police officer. You know, somebody else that scans that QR code wouldn't be able to see that information, but because he's a police officer, that's his role in our ecosystem. So he has authority to automatically see that information by just scanning the QR code. Gotcha. Gotcha. Versus the bartender who just needs to know a yes, no on an, on an age verification. Absolutely. Law enforcement may may need more info right. up, up front as it's appropriate. So let's back up for a second. And we've been talking about blockchain. And again, you know, this Footnotes has a, has a wide audience as we discussed kind of before the show. Um, let's talk about blockchain. Um, you know, Seth, you, you had, had kind of opened the door on this by saying you didn't want to, you know, go too far down the rabbit hole. Yeah. But I think we may need Just to steer it in the right step direction. inside the yeah, door frame right, a little right, bit. Yeah. Um, what is blockchain? Like, what, is, what does a civilian need to know about blockchain in terms of what it is and maybe what it does? So in, in layman's terms, it's like a new way to hold people accountable that doesn't require depending on if you're using zero knowledge proofs or it's just out there publicly put on a blockchain uh, ledger, but it's just, it's a new way to hold people accountable and, and, and do contact tracing. And because like, like human beings have needed accounting for so long, this is like the next step that like the, the layer of the internet has allowed us to communicate with, with, with each other so well, so rapidly, so quickly but with that information comes misinformation, disinformation, and that's what blockchain really remedies is something's put in stone cryptographically that classical computers can't break that hash. Like only like quantum computers would be able to theoretically do that relatively quick, quickly if they're like weaponized, but everyone thinks it's really far out. I guess so that's not He's using some tech yeah. terms now. <laughs> well, it's kind of like, I mean, I remember, um, I, I think I'm old enough where I started my career in banking in the late 90s and the internet was a thing. Websites were really basic. Amazon only sold books. Right. 
but you knew like, hey, there's this thing, like it's gonna be something one day. No one could imagine smartphones really. No one could imagine, you know, doing a Chipotle order, which Chipotle order didn't exist then, you know, but but you you knew, and so when people were talking about the internet in the late 90s, it it sounded kind of like what you were saying, that there, there were a lot of knowledgeable people that were kind of getting into it. Just users were experiencing some utility because they could click and do this and do that, and it was kind of cool to buy things. So, so all right, so this is what I teach, right? <laughs> So, uh, and, and you came from finance, right? Mm-hmm. So you know what a ledger is. Sure. And a ledger is your credits and debits. Yep. So basically what Nisa- um, um, Satoshi Nakamoto did, so this is the guy that cr- wrote the white paper to create Bitcoin, right? right? And I read it. The white paper is like four pages long. Nine pages. Nine pages. But it's still very short. And the idea I didn't of understand a technical it, but I, document. I, I held it in yeah. my hands. Yeah. So, uh, and I, it's required reading for my course. But basically, at the end of the day, what he was trying to do. So we've had digital money. People have been trying to do digital money since the internet, since the early 90s. Mm-hmm. And some have actually scaled into being used. But but it was more of a store of value. They weren't able to use it as a currency because they couldn't do what, what's called solving the double spend problem. So if you have a digital asset that's ones and zeros, you can copy that digital asset, right? So the question is, is so if I go to Seth and I buy that piece of candy with a digital 25 cents, What's keeping me from going to then buy another piece of candy with that same 25 cents from Erica? That's the double spend problem that we've always had up until 2008 when when Bitcoin became. So yeah, something that my dad caught me cop- photocopying $20 bills when I was six years old wow. on the copier. And it's, it's thinking like, well, that's where money comes from. Is you yeah, just, exactly, you know, exactly. Make more of it. Hey, but, man, for future counterfeit. But you're not supposed to do that. So, um, so what blockchain does for cryptocurrency is it basically eliminates the ability for somebody to create another version of the same digital currency. Mm-hmm. So that's really what that is. And we we call Bic, so the capital B, Bitcoin, is actually the blockchain that underlines, is the underlying technology that ena- enables Bitcoin to exist small b but that small b is the currency that floats around everybody talks about it. everybody talks about that they don't talk about the blockchain right um and where we are now i feel so in 2008 blockchain was the internet in 1979 so like right when it was invented by darpa right mm-hmm. which was just for government and then academics started taking it on in the 80s and then it finally started gaining traction when Tim and Lee created the World Wide Web. And the World Wide Web is where we were able to build stores on the internet. Mm-hmm. And that was in the 90s, and that's when Amazon and all those guys got kicked off. So blockchain today in 2021 is probably like when Tim and Lee created the World Wide Web. So this would be in the early 90s. So we have no earthly idea what blockchain is going to look like in 20 more years. Interesting. Um, which is the position that we're in is we're very forward thinking. 
Um, if you look at our tagline, we want you to be future proof. Mm -hmm. So we want to help you take control of your identity for whatever God has planned for the future. Because <laughs> um, none of us know, but we, we feel that what we're building will enable individuals and we're not the only ones doing this. So there's a community out there, even through the Linux Foundation, which the Linux Foundation created the Linux operating system, yeah, okay. which actually more servers around the world are built on Linux than Microsoft or an Apple put together. Um, so the Linux Foundation has a whole bunch of stuff underneath it, but one group is called the Sovereign Foundation. And that group is focused on what's called self-sovereign identity. So we're actually building on a blockchain version called Hyperledger to enable uh, companies like Validity to bring what's called self-sovereign identity to people. And this is where it's, we're not there yet, but we could be in 10 years, but we're helping to get it going, um, is where we do have control over our identity. And then as you go out into the internet or even in the physical world, people, they see you they know you're there, but they also and they also know you've been verified as a entity, but they don't know who you are mm -hmm. until you say. That's going back to what you were saying, right, Erica, like right. all these attributes that you're kind of leaving behind yeah. on your internet until she, wants, until yeah. she wants them to have that data. Ah. So we probably have to teach people like, hey, this is all the stuff you're leaving behind that you didn't know you were leaving behind as you click here, search there, yeah. tap that, you know, double click this. Exactly. Like, because I don't, I don't think I'm Well, aware. all you have to do is go to LifeLock's website and they'll show you everything that you're leaving behind. Because that's what they, their model is, is to help you recoup mm -hmm. your identity. Okay. Our model is before that. We want to help you control it so that your data is not on central servers all over the world, aggregated and centralized to where a hacker really wants to go after it because it's 28 million records there. It, that's valuable to a hacker to take the risk of being thrown in jail. Where if Erica's data is on hers and Seth is on his and yours is on yours, that's what we call decentralized, mm -hmm. where we're taking that identity, it's called PII, personal identity information, off of these servers all over the world, and you're controlling it inside your wallet. Even Validity doesn't have access to it. When we, we call it purge the PII. So what we do is after we verify the information and we turn that into what's called a verifiable credential and put that in your wallet, so now you control that credential, we delete all that information off our servers because we don't want to create a honeypot that a hacker's going to want to go after. Gotcha. And that also reduces our liability as a company because now we're not liable for the breach. Yeah, there's no Fort Knox back there with a billion people's right, right. fingerprints, if you will. Yeah, so hackers won't be going after our servers because there's nothing there. Gotcha. And, and to spend the time to break into Erica's iPhone and then her validity wallet is like not worth the 150 bucks that an identity is worth for a hacker. Gotcha. Well, that I mean, kind of brings up a question. I'm just as I'm listening and, and hearing about what you guys were talking about about these trails that we inadvertently, but now we're becoming more aware that we're leaving behind, and, and those are sort of um, utilized or exploited, if you will, by by people that are allowed to do that. 
isn't part of the novelty though of searching and scrolling and being a part of social media, the suggestions or the, hey, you might like, or seeing ads that are more meaningful to you or things. So it sounds like if you guys are successful, does that go away? No, not necessarily. I mean, you have the choice then at that point. Right. Because as long as they're being transparent, I mean, this is the issue though, is like you don't know about that. I mean, there is a definitely a curtain, you know, that is being held up against most people that just don't take the time to, you know, just don't have an interest. You know, it just really hasn't been talked about. So, um, but I mean, I think we all know somebody that's like, well, that's weird. You know, that's popping up mm -hmm. on my phone now. I just said that, you know, two hours ago. Right. What? Like, so, I mean, now just being able to have the choice of like, you know, having that, you know, come up or not is definitely yeah. needed. Yeah, and I think surfing the web in the beginning, like, of course, it was, it was it was just a ton of information out there. Everything was new. But a lot of these algorithms have whatever bias they have about you, and they will keep you there and really control your compulsions to have you just stick on that website and waste time. Mm -hmm. And I think that's problematic. Like, like they uh, kind of going back to the infrastructure thing, like changing education, if they had, if they had that algorithm in play for students who really loved this learning about this, learning about that, and you kept them in, in that area to accelerate their learning. Maybe they only have to cram in learning for like three days a week and the other four days they can work or find something else to do. But the algorithms, these companies aren't incentivized to do that. They're incentivized to have, get you like in this like sedated state where you get materialistic on Instagram and you, you want to buy that because you want to you identify as this and you want to look like that. And they've just kind of they went from these really great companies that I looked up to, like I always wanted to work at like Google or Apple or whatever, but they've just, they've kind of just, I mean, they have to do what they have to do because there's, there's, it's just gotten out of hand and they have to, they have to, we have to make them pivot into something else because they're just like, they're, they're almost like too, like too big to, like the too, the too big to fail kind of thing. <laughs> but they, they just, they're, so with Validity, we're really hoping that we'll force some of the other players to be more transparent and forthcoming with information. Um, well, there's also, a, there's also a, we call it monetization opportunity. So, so you as an individual right now are the product. If you're using Gmail or Facebook or all that, right? That's what the Social Dilemma documentary did, talked about. So what we see in, in the future, as more and more people get control of their identity, now, if let's say you do want to get some of that preferred data, you can then elect to share it with either the world or just a specific vendor so that they could customize an offering to you if you wanted to. You can also rent yourself out. So let's say you did want to make some money off of Google's algorithms, right? So right now they're making all the money. But right. let's say as a, as a transition now, they'll they're willing to send some money towards you for letting, for you letting them watch you. So what happens is is you're you, we would create an identity for you that they can track while you're out there. But then when you cut it off and you made your money, mm -hmm. when you cut it off, now they can't attach any more data to that identity. Oh. So that, that's really the big future here is, 
you'll be able to morph your identity as you go out into the ether to make sure that they aren't tracking you long-term. Or if you elect to and make some money off of it, then you can do that. Well, is that similar to some of the technology I think even credit cards are using where if you use a certain type of credit card, it can generate a sort of yes. one-time yes. use yes. number. Yeah. You know, you're on a website, you're buying from that website, you generate a one-time use number, it plugs in, completes the transaction, but then- We're, we're even talking to a company- That's doing that. But it, it, does, it doesn't solve the problem with the attention economy when it right. needs to be the intention economy, which is what Gordon was mentioning, where we're intending, like, if we're going on vacation here, we need, we're, we're setting out our, like, our, our fishing line, and then all the brochures, all the pamphlets, all the advertisement goes to that. And they have our information for a, a revocable amount of, like, a certain amount of time, it's revocable. And when we're, when we pick the person, they get that information and all the other ones get, they, they lose that alpha data. So let's reemphasize that. So the first, what currents now is attention. Right. So With everybody's a, tracking. Yeah, that. attention. And what For all Seth our Southern was listeners, just, yeah. Right. So what Seth was just talking about is the, the intention. Yeah, with economy. an I. Right. Okay. And that's where we're sending out RFPs. They don't know who we are, but they have the information they need to make a proposal. And then we choose who we want to do business with, and then they'll get whatever data they need for a long-term relationship, and all the other ones no longer have access to that information. Could be for mortgages, could be for jobs. Mm -hmm. So if Wall Street Journal last week had an article about White Castle and Cracker Barrel are going to their databases from five years ago and spamming people who had made application to work there to see if they would come work for them because they're having a hard time finding employees. So that means you applied for their job five years ago and they still have your data five years later. And you think Cracker Barrel has good security? They, they don't delete this stuff, man. Your, your identity is all over the freaking place. And and that's, that's our passion. We like, that's just insane. We feel it's ignorant. <laughs> And, and, and now, it, because of our technology, it's unnecessary. It doesn't have to happen now. Interesting. This is, this is really fascinating because it, it is like 1999, you know, with regard to blockchain and, and, and happening. And I, and I tend to think about the phenomena of, you know, being a younger person and you're seeing it on the, on the front edge, kind of like, you know, I feel like I've seen the internet go from, hey, this neat thing, you can send instant messages and you can buy shirts and books to, it's just ubiquitous, like it's everywhere and it's just so woven into life. You literally can't imagine not having it. Right. And so I think what I'm hearing you guys saying is blockchain is headed in that direction. You know, the currency stuff gets all the all the press because right. it's making billionaires out of out of just thin air almost. It seems like um, we'll set aside the commentary on that. <laughs> but that's it's kind of like Amazon just selling books in 1998. You know. We, we didn't know that they would know when our dishwasher detergent needed to be refilled and it would just show up without us doing anything. Well, I don't mean to be self-promotional, but since you mentioned 1999, so in 1999, Milton Friedman, who's a mm -hmm. um, economist, yeah, economist, he predicted Bitcoin in 1999. He didn't call it Bitcoin, but he predicted that one day in the near future, because of the internet, we will be able to solve the double spend problem and do that. 
So uh, I wrote a song called Blockchain Movement. So you're going to have to share that with your audience. Yeah. And and we even referenced that 1999 it's in the show notes. Mil- uh, uh, reference. So. <laughs> Great. Um, Thank you for sharing all this. I, I know that was a lot. Um, I'm, I'm glad that we do record these because I think even I would want to go back and rewatch and, and listen to some of these things because I think that there are a lot of people that are that are trying to uh, like trying to understand these things, but because it's new, you don't have a frame of reference. And so I think it's very helpful that you guys can relate it back to hey, the internet was like this, and it's kind of like that at that time and in, the, in these services. Because I think as people gain understanding of the technology, regardless of the use cases, that's how you, I guess, foster adoption, which is kind of what you guys are hope, hoping yeah, for. Yeah, well, that's what we have on. to do. And, and from the entrepreneurial side of all this, the story of us being entrepreneurs and learning all this kind of stuff, um, one of the problems that startups have, and not just here in South Carolina, <laughs> is raising money, right? Mm-hmm. And so because we're kind of, well, blockchain's new and all that, most of the investors out there understand cryptocurrency and, and blockchain at a level. But, you know, they only want to hear a three to six minute pitch. And in order to really explain what we're doing, we got to have a thing like this to tell people. Because I, I had a comment from uh, an investor, potential investor by email yesterday, and I was saying, he said, well, I know this space and all this. And I asked him one question. He didn't understand it. And I said, well, okay, so you really don't understand. So we have a lot of educating to do. <laughs> well, that's interesting. I mean, as someone who's, who's an academic in, the, in this field, you know, what do you see happening with regard to course of study in this field and research? I mean, where is it, is it just so new that everyone's still kind of figuring it out? Because yeah, it's, it's coming. Um, so there are schools that actually have centers to for blockchain research and things like that. At USC, there are two courses. There's one in the business school, Darla Moore, uh, and then there's ours in the College of Communication, uh, Information Communications. Um, there are spatterings around. There's there's a Dr. Uh, Dwyer up in Clemson teaches a course on blockchain. He's a economist. But we still have a, a long way to go before academia actually really jumps in. I mean, MIT Lab, of course, are really deep in it. They're already talking to the federal government about creating a Fed coin or a U.S. dollar digital currency. So those guys, you know, they're Georgia Tech's probably pretty deep into it. But from the the other colleges and out there, they still have um, we still have a ways to go. But at the end of the day, blockchain is a tool just like the internet is. So you don't have a course on the internet. Right. You have the course on, on computer programming that of course leverages it. So eventually it'll probably not be a blockchain course. Blockchain will just be a tool in the bag when you're talking about this emerging tech stuff. Well, so for, Seth, for you and Erica, as, as younger people, um, you, you may be really old, you just look kind of young. Um, <laughs> But what what drew you guys into this as as a field? Because it is so new. It's not like, you know, anyone's had parents that have been in this field or, or no one has spent a lifetime studying this yet because it is so new. So what was the attraction for you guys? Yeah, I feel like if there was going to be an opportunity where I'm going to be able to do something game-changing, something that's 
I'm just to surround my people, myself with like the smartest people I can find and just go after a common goal, then now's the time. And it really didn't hit me until like the whole work from home stuff happened. And I was just like, I, I just kind of felt myself rotting away at my normal job. The normal job was great. It was a fantastic job, great people. But I was just like, this is not, I can't sit here in my chair all day and not be working on building something, like creating something, like getting better at my technical skills and just like, like breathing air again, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Erica? Uh, so yeah, when you, uh, I started, I got into blockchain when I heard about the potential of blockchain. So when you break blockchain down into like the very basics of it, just nuts and bolts, it really breaks down into transparency, decentralized, and it's immutable. And immutable means it's not hackable. And you can apply that into so many realms to where really the right person is the one winning and not the big guys in a sense. And that was really my my drive and goal. Like, you know, I, I believe that every individual should own their identity. The big boys are always winning nowadays and it's time for the little guys to win too, so. Well, and Erica, so she actually, before my class, she actually did a research project where she surveyed USC students on their... How much they understood blockchain technology. And yeah. literally 90% had no idea what <laughs> I was talking about. <laughs> I mean, and that was that two sense. years or ago. Yeah, and, so and like... that was before the pandemic. Um, I mean, Bitcoin was definitely, you know, exploding. So they had heard about that, but they still hadn't heard of blockchain. And that was just mind boggling to me. Mm-hmm. So. Well, and the other thing Erica told me when we first met, uh, when we first talked talk about creating a company was, I mean, when she was a freshman coming into USC, she had always dreamed about having her own company and being an entrepreneur. So she's got it in her blood. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, and I mean, Gordon, what about you? I mean, you, you've you had probably multiple careers. I mean, right. what got you into something that's this, that this, that is as new? So I, I don't have to do another startup. <laughs> Um, but when, when, when I saw the opportunity for us to change lives and then maybe also make a bigger splash than I have historically in the past, you know, I had to jump onto it. I'm, I turned 60 in December, so I'm not a, a young dude, but uh, I still do like to work very hard. So, and, uh, and startups are okay with me. I do kind of hope this is my last one, but, uh, but we'll see. Um, the, the, everything has aligned. Uh, when we met Seth, so, so I met Seth when I was mentoring the South Carolina McNair Institute Blockchain Challenge, which was also the, in the fall when we had the, my class. And uh, he had presented a project where he was gonna create a supply chain tracking system for uh, all natural foods. So from the field to the table which is another passion of mine anyway. So that's why we decided to I work on I was your last startup. Is it? <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, no, I still got another one working. But um, but then, so that's where we met. And then he got third place for that. And it was cool. And, and uh, he and I started talking and, and getting to know each other. And and I, if I was 25, I'd be him. So that's how much we think alike. <laughs> And so as soon as Erica and I started putting this together, we said, oh, well, we got to get Seth on board with us. So, so he was our first recruit. And so that's, so the three of us just became co-founders. That's great. It's such a, that's a great story. I think that's how a lot of people imagine things like that would come together is, is you, you find people who are interested in, in subjects with different backgrounds, 
ages, all level of education, all that kind of stuff, and, and you kind of push it all in the middle of the table, and you you go from zero to one. Yeah, that's that right. So, well, thank you for sitting down. Thank you yeah, for yeah, thank for you spending for your time, uh, taking time out from fundraising and product development and and evangelizing on this. Just to take right. a pause for this, I, I hope this helps you guys. I know this helps will help our audience. I think kind of pull the cover off of off of some of this stuff. You guys shared really good. Um, things you can kind of seek your teeth into and attach it to something you already know so you can understand it a little better. Yeah, I think you're going to get a boatload of views off of this one, man. <laughs> yes, thank you so much. Thank yeah, you. Thank you.